Well, it took us a little longer to put a bow on the Big 12 football season, and we're all happy about that after TCU reached the national championship game. I know that uh, maybe we don't want to think about how the game went, but either way, great year for the Big 12 uh, conference on the football field. And now we shift over to basketball. I'm Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com, covering, of course, the Big 12 conference, top to bottom, independent digital media outlet. Let's welcome on and say hi to a guy you read on the site all the time. Uh, you typically will hear as well on this show. Matthew Poston's joining us. Matthew, before we talk about the basketball side, which is obviously your bread and butter, you know football as well as anybody as well. Uh, this year for TCU and the Big 12, for as long as you've been covering the conference, how should fans feel about it? What are your takeaways on that side? Well, I think they should feel good about it. I think you, you're seeing the continued shift away from Oklahoma and Texas in terms of we know they're leaving the conference at some point. Uh, I think the big question a year and a half ago was whether or not the teams that were in the conference that are being left behind were going to step up and you know start creating their own identities and, and in turn collect their own collective identity as a conference. And I think they've accomplished that when you think about the fact that you've had four different teams in the conference championship game each of the last two years. Uh, TCU becomes the first team in the conference to not only win a playoff game, but the first team from Texas to get into the college football playoff. Uh, even with how it ended, uh, I think it, it leaves it should leave people very optimistic about the direction of the conference. No, it's not the SEC, it's not the Big Ten, but I've been saying all along the race is to be the best of the three conferences between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the ACC. And I think long term, the Big 12 is very much positioned to be the best of those three conferences, especially in football. I completely agree. Now, in basketball, I'll tell you what. I mean, when OU and Texas leave, don't get me wrong, especially with the way Texas is playing, uh, that's going to be a tough loss. But you think about especially Houston coming into this conference, Matthew, just lay the foundation Mm -hmm. for what this year has been like in the Big 12, the meat grinder that it is, clearly the best conference in America, and what this thing will look like a year from now with OU and Texas or without them. Yeah, I mean, you look at the standings, you look at the analytics, and there's no question the Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball from a men's standpoint. I mean, nine of the ten teams going into this weekend's action are in the top 50 in NCAA net, and that is the main tool that the tournament committee uses to determine the 68-team field. It's part of the reason why Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are both bubble teams when it comes to the tournament right now because their net rating is so high. Basically, every game in the Big 12 from a men's standpoint is either a quad one or a quad two game, which are really important games when it comes to what the NCAA net tool fits out. You know, when you think about what's coming in, Houston, obviously, one of the top-ranked teams in the country. UCF is having a really good season under John, Johnny Dawkins. In fact, they beat Memphis the other night, and now they're starting to go from being an NCAA tournament bubble team to a potential NCAA tournament team. Cincinnati is building up. Uh, they just lured a four-star recruit in their last class to Cincinnati. And then the BYU, they're a quality team. They're a little down this year. They're not as good as they usually are, but they're usually one of those teams you can count on to be among the top 100 teams in the country. So from a basketball standpoint, once Texas and Oklahoma transition out, you lose the brands, certainly, but you don't necessarily lose the quality of play with those four teams that are coming in. All four of those schools are very committed to basketball. They're committed to fielding uh, good programs. And right now, you know, especially Houston, uh, they're going to come in and they're going to enhance that brand from a basketball standpoint. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And I'm so excited for 
what the future holds for this league as well um, on the basketball floor. So let's talk about hoops right now, Matthew. And to me, the surprise, the story on the hardwood and men's basketball are the Kansas State Wildcats. What has Jerome Tang done in year one, and just how impressive is it? It's pretty impressive. I mean, it's it's just as impressive as what T.J. Otzelberger did with Iowa State last year. The only difference being that uh, Iowa State didn't uh, start out un- this getting undefeated this far into conference play the way mm-hmm. Kansas State has. They've won four straight games to start league play and did it by beating three top 25 teams in the process. So, you know, it, it's a pretty incredible job. When you think about the early two players that came back from last year's team, they brought in 10, 11 transfers and recruits. Uh, they're, they're, you know, Marquise Noel's wingman, Picante Johnson, hasn't played a game in two years before this season uh, due to some uh, health issues he had at Florida. And they've now already exceeded last year's win total under Bruce Weber. So the, the job is incredible. You know, Jerome Tang is right now, to me, the coach of the year in the Big 12. At this time last year, T.J. Otzelberger was the coach of the year in the Big 12. So it's about where you end up in March, certainly. But he is, you know, I think the one big thing that he's doing a lot differently than maybe Baylor did or maybe Bruce Weber did is he really likes allowing his team to play at at pace and at tempo, kind of like Kansas does, kind of like some of the other teams in the Big 12 do. And I think that really benefits Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, the rest of that team. They like to get up and down the floor. They're not the best defensive team in the world right now, uh, as evidenced by some of the the point totals they've given up against Texas and Baylor. But uh, because they're able to play at that pace so well, uh, they can kind of cover up some of those defensive mistakes right now. Yeah, it has just been um, incredibly impressive, and they are covering up those mistakes. And obviously, you think about what they have coming up. And man, oh man, it's never easy in this league at TCU and then home to Kansas for the Sunflower Showdown next week. So, speaking of those teams, let's start with Kansas. They're one of the other 4 0 teams to start off league play, number two in the country. None of that is surprising necessarily, but Grady Dick is obviously the new big name there. How has he gelled with this team? Yeah, you know, Bill Self has talked about the fact that he's just one of the best pure shooters he's ever coached and and one of those freshmen who's just really come in and seamlessly worked his way into the rotation. He started from day one. He doesn't seem intimidated at all by, uh, you know, college basketball in the slightest. And the thing that I was concerned about with this team coming back was they lost so much experience from last year. They had talent. You know, could they integrate those people with, you know, Jalen Wilson and to Juan Harris, and, and to a lesser degree, Kevin McCullough, who was transferring in from Texas Tech, and, and they have it. And it's not just Grady Dick. It's K.J. Adams, who's sort of emerged as their undersized post player who had a career game against Oklahoma the other night. He's become vital to what they are trying to do on the court. Zach Clements gave them a nice boost off the bench on Tuesday night against Oklahoma. They've got a host of young players that you know Bill Self is the, is you know, getting more trust in, in terms of just giving them maybe five, 10 minutes a game to give some of these veteran guys a little bit of a rest. And they're able to give them something off the bench, which has been really vital. You know, the fact that they have a really deep team, it just didn't have a lot of experience. Well, they're starting to get a lot of experience now in Big 12 play, and they're starting to look like a team that, you know, could really be gearing up to, you know, produce a vigorous title defense, not just a, a token title defense, but a team that could get to Houston for the Final Four this year and really mount a defense to what they did last year. It has been a lot of fun to watch. Now, if you look um, around this conference, the team that we haven't talked about yet, but 
obviously the stories around this team have been incredibly disappointing, and uh, that is the fact that Chris Beard is no longer the coach of the Texas Longhorns, which if you told somebody that uh, two months ago, uh, they would have no idea why. But here we are, such as life in college athletics. How do the Longhorns handle this thing on the court, and what do you expect, if at all, that to look like as they try to navigate this incredibly difficult Big 12 with now an interim head coach? Well, I think the good thing is the distraction is gone from a player standpoint. They don't have to answer any more questions about Chris Beard and what's happening on the court. So that kind of allows them to focus on what they need to be doing. I, I think the TCU game is a microcosm of you know, what we're seeing out of this team to fall behind 18 points in that game in the first half and to crawl all the way back and eventually win that game. I think it shows you that um, the mentality of this team is very tough and that Rodney Terry, their interim head coach, he's got the ear of all the players in this team. Now we'll see if that can you know sustain itself over the next couple of months. And like you said, this is a rigorous schedule they play. But to me, that was a big, big step because they had the 13-point loss to K-State in that game that went 116-103. to 103. But then after that, they go to Oklahoma State and they beat the Cowboys and hold them to 46 points. Then they come home and overcome an 18-point deficit to beat TCU. Uh, this is a mentally tough team, um, and I don't think they're going anywhere. And I think the more confidence they get in themselves, the more confidence they get in Rodney Terry and that staff, the more dangerous they're going to be. In terms of the future, I, you know, there there obviously been reported back channel conversations with John Calipari at Kentucky, and I think there are interesting reasons why Calipari might take that job if it were open to him. But Rod, this is Rodney Terry's opportunity to show that he can be the head coach at Texas, and I, I think it's going to take nothing less than him taking this team farther than Chris Beard took them last year in the NCAA tournament, which was the second round. You know, if he can get them into the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, it, it he might have a shot to keep that job long term. But I think anything less than that. Texas is going to go looking for a brand-name coach that can elevate them and prepare them for the SEC. As we continue with Matthew Poston's talking Big 12 hoops, I know you've got a football hangover. You're missing it already. I am as well. Well, my friends at DraftKings have a great deal for listeners of this show. What's the offer? How about this? To kick off the road, the Super Bowl 57, it's Wild Card Weekend. New customers at DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, can bet just $5.00. And get $200 in free bets instantly. You cannot beat that deal. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? I love DraftKings. Used them all season. I will be using them again, of course, for the NFL playoffs. I'm a Chiefs fan, so I'll be engaged with the other games this weekend since the Chiefs have the bye week. But use our promo code HCS after you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, bet $5 on the NFL, and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbooks with our code HCS. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Calipari why does that work, and how does that work for both sides of that equation? Well, Kalahari works for a couple of reasons. One, he doesn't have a buyout attached to his contract, which is really interesting. He's wow. making like $8.5 million this year, but there's no buyout on his deal. So if somebody hires him away, Kentucky gets nothing. Uh, the other piece of this right now is that Kentucky's not playing great basketball right now, and 
the fans in Kentucky are a little restless with Calipari. He last won them a national championship in 2012, so it's been 10 years since they won a national championship. Of course, they had that first-round exit against St. Peter's last year, which was great for college basketball fans because I think we all enjoyed St. Peter's making that run to the Elite Eight, but it wasn't fun for Kentucky fans. And now they're having some real issues uh, on the court. They lost to South Carolina the other night, a team that was a quadrant four loss for Kansas. So yes. that's a that's a big deal for them from a tournament standpoint. So, you know, as somebody who has family in Kentucky, and I kind of wrote about this in the site earlier this week, you know, Kentucky basketball is analogous to Texas football. It is the pressure cooker sport in that state. Everybody pays attention to it. At some point, you either learn to live with the pressure cooker or you look for a way out or somebody shows you the door. Calipari could be looking for a lower pressure job. You know, Texas, it's a pressure, it's a, it's a pressure job, but it's not a Kentucky pressure job from a basketball standpoint. And plus for Texas, you know, they'd have to pay them more than they were paying Chris Beard. But if you want to prepare your program to be contenders in the SEC, he's probably the guy to do it because he's done it at Kentucky for over a decade. You know, I just look at uh, Calipari's success, and there hasn't been a lot you noted that, you know, he won that championship when they went 38-2 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, actually. And maybe his best team the last few years was the COVID year when they went 25-6, and six, but he hasn't even been to a Final Four in eight years, Matthew. So if yeah. you're Texas, are you saying, is it possible that Calipari's model is no longer the model that works when you compare it to kind of what's worked for Bill Self, which is maybe blending a one-and-done here and there with the team. Even Bill Self kind of in many, many ways went away from just a bunch of one-and-done guys. Um, I think about Jay Wright's success at Villanova, a little bit different, but is Calipari's model possibly broken? I, I think that's an interesting question because you not you don't just have what you talked about. You have the portal now, too. You yeah. have the transfer portal. You have players that are transferring away from programs. I firmly believe, even though some coaches haven't articulated that. I firmly believe that's why some coaches have decided to retire. You know, I think Rory Williams had three or four years left in his career, but I, I think he decided to transition away because I think he was just tired of the uncertainty. Jay Wright might have decided to do the same thing at Villanova. I think that's chasing some coaches off because who really wants to rebuild a team every single year? Mm-hmm. And Calipari was doing that a decade ago with one-and-dones and doing it very well. But now even the one-and-done rule may go away in a couple of years if the NBA and the NCAA both have their way. So I think there's some valid validity to that, the idea that maybe his model is a little bit broken for reasons that are within his control but also reasons that are not within his control. And whether that works for Texas or not, now, I don't know. Um, it's going to be an interesting decision for Chris Del Conte because I think Chris Beard was an easy decision for them. He had success at Texas Tech. He was a Texas alum. He wanted to be there. It was an easy decision. This is a harder decision now because you're changing conferences. You're trying to adjust to a new world of college basketball, and you've got to find the right person to lead your program. Calipari is an easy choice because he's been there and done that, but at the same time, he hasn't had a lot of success the last couple of years with that program, even though he's recruited well and he's, he's brought in some good transfers, and he's developed players. Yeah. Now, back to the uh, back to the games. Matthew Poston's joining us. Uh, Iowa State, a, a team we probably aren't talking as much about because of the reasons that you mentioned. We mentioned Kansas State's a great story, the surprise story. Kansas is a national championship contender. But Iowa State's sitting there saying, hey, don't forget about us. We're 4-0 in league play, mm-hmm. too, to start this thing off. Uh, they've got a great matchup in Lawrence on Saturday. What do you like most about the Cyclones team? 
Well, the thing that I wanted to see from from that program with TJ in his second year was, you know, can you sustain the success you had in the first year, especially after losing Tyrese Hunter, Isaiah Brockington, uh, George Condit, and those players? They 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 had a lot of turnover, you know, honestly, more than I was expecting from their program, frankly. And they've been able to do it, you know, primarily through their commitment to defense. If you're going to be successful in this conference, you've got to be able to play defense very well. And Iowa State's one of the best defensive teams in the conference, but. As they flipped into conference play, a couple of things have happened that I think are really interesting. One, Gabe Kalsher's scoring has increased. If you go back and you look at his years in college basketball, he never had a, a stretch of more than, I think, four games in a row where he scored in double figures. Well, going into that Kansas game, he's now scored, I think, double figures in six of his last seven games. His three-point shooting has improved. And more importantly, the team's three-point shooting has improved. They're actually second in the Big 12 in Big 12 games in three-point shooting at about 43.5%. That's 8% better than they were shooting in all games this season. So their three-point shooting has gotten much better. And when you think about them going you know, and facing teams like Kansas and Kansas State and teams that like to shoot the three, Baylor, that kind of thing, that's going to help them because – you know, for a year and a half, they've been really reliant on their defense and holding teams, you know, down in terms of scoring. There is going to be games where they're going to have to match teams like Kansas and Kansas State in terms of scoring basket for basket. If they can shoot the three-point better like they have been to start Big 12 play, that makes them more competitive and positions them better to win games like that. Which one of these teams, Matthew, that is under 500 in league play, and half the conference right now is, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and West Virginia, which one of these teams uh, do you think can make a run as we move through conference play? Who's just gotten off to the slow start that you're saying to yourself, boy, this team is better than that record indicates early in the season? I would say probably Baylor. At okay. this point, I, I still have a lot of trust in, in Scott Drew and his staff to kind of get those get those players turned around. It's not that they're they're not shooting the basketball well; they're just I think they're defensively a little bit behind where they want to be. I mean, they played a lot of zone against West Virginia the other night, which has been unusual for them the past few years. They've made a real commitment to playing man to man defense, but I think you might see them start playing a little bit more zone to try to just, if nothing else, just kind of wake their guys up and say okay we're you know we're one and three right now we need to start gathering some momentum uh as we get you know further into the big 12 season i I think they're the most capable of turning it around because i think they have the most talent and they have a national championship coach that can you know kind of point them in the right direction team i'm most worried about right now conversely is texas tech um they're they're kind of banged up uh they're not getting a lot out of anybody offensively aside from kevin o'banner and their freshman, uh, Pop Isaacs. Uh, the defense that they've normally been relying on hasn't been as good as it's been in recent years. And, you know, I just I kind of feel like there's a lot, of, a lot of negative momentum around what they're doing on the court right now. Uh, I think Mark Adams is a great coach. I don't think his job's in any kind of danger or anything like that. But uh, they're not playing well as a group. And, and I think, you know, they've got to get beyond the point of, of waiting for Fardow's AMAC to come back and start figuring out ways to fix it now. Yeah, outstanding. Uh, completely agree. Now, the other team you mentioned that is really struggling is West Virginia. And you look at Bob Huggins now. You go back to last season. They were last place in the Big 12 last year. They're looking at potentially a last place finish this year, Matthew. Um, I We talked about John Calipari, if kind of the game had passed him by. I love Bob Huggins. He's been great for the sport of college basketball, but... 
We're now almost a year and a half into what has been a last place team in the Big 12. What do you, how should we interpret that? I think it's a really good question. You know, Bob says that the his team's biggest problem right now is defense. They're not a very good defensive team. And when you think about Bob Huggins and defense, those two things go together, like, you know, peanut butter and jelly. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's really weird to hear Bob talk about a team that's just not playing defense very well. They're a good offensive team. They're a good rebounding team, but the the defensive deficiencies, you know, they kind of they showed themselves in the Baylor game. Again, they were very capable of winning. Uh, a game that where there were 53 fouls called, which you know is just ridiculous <laughs> for both teams. I've never, I don't think, I don't know that I've seen a game with 53 fouls in it before in my life. But you know, I think that they're going to have to figure out, you know, how to get better defensively and get better defensively now. I think what's more curious to me than what's happening on the court is the fact that at least right now. I don't think West Virginia has a recruit in their 2023 class. I think they were the only program that didn't sign a player in the early signing period in November. Uh, I think that's really curious. Uh, you know, Bob has really relied on transfers the last couple of years, bringing guys in from other programs. It's had, you know, varying degrees of success. You know, Bob is one of those coaches who's done things the same way for a long time and it's worked for him and it requires a lot of buy-in from his players. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder if maybe he's one of those coaches who might, before you know the end of his contract, you know, might decide to to step aside and move on and and just you know you know go into retirement because I I think he desperately wants to bring a national championship back to West Virginia. It's the one thing he says he wants to do before he retires, um, but he doesn't have the players to do it right now, and he hasn't really had a a big recruiting class in two or three years that would really lead me to believe that, you know, they can get back to the high-level kind of basketball he wants to coach. I still think they can go to the NCAA tournament. I still think they can have a winning season. I think they have the talent to turn that around. But in terms of achieving the goal that he wants, they're they're not close to that right now. They aren't. Matthew Postens. Read them all the time, heartlandcollegesports.com. You're the man, Matthew. It's basketball season. We'll be doing this every week, my man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, you bet. He's Matthew Postens. I'm Pete Mundo. Hey, do me a favor. Leave a rating, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, and uh, we'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie. You can't beat that, right? You get the free koozie uh, with a rating and a review and a subscription. Send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Would so appreciate you doing that. I'm Pete Mundo. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.